From Troy Public Radio, I'm Tim Phillips, and this is Clarinet Corner. Today, I'm joined by a great clarinetist who is the principal clarinetist of the Boston Modern Orchestra Project, and his name is Michael Norsworthy. Thank you for being here, Michael. Thank you for having me, Tim. Michael, your um, career is diverse. You have worked with so many composers and ensembles, and one of the things that was initially most interesting to me uh, just sort of at the beginning of, of your career was the diversity of teachers that you've studied with. Um, you, and you've studied with uh, clarinetists who are, who are very different from one another, right? That's correct. Yeah, and uh, walk us through uh, this a little bit just, just to kind of give, give the audience a point of entry on the diversity of, of you. Well, I essentially come from two major schools of playing, uh, the Hasty School uh, and then the Opperman School. Um, so I went to undergraduate at uh, Michigan State University, and I worked with Elsa Verdeer there. Uh, and then I finished my undergrad actually at Southern Illinois University at, uh, at Carbondale, and I worked with Eric Mandat because of my interest in contemporary music. Um, and uh, Elsa and Eric were, were very good friends, um, and it seemed sort of a, a natural thing for me to study with Eric because I was so interested in contemporary music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I, I look at your CD, uh, American Music for Clarinet and Piano, and uh, it's titled Trasur, mm-hmm. and um, that's the uh, the title of a piece by David Gomper, who is actually the pianist on this CD as well. And um, I I look at at this uh, at this contemporary American music on this on this disc, and you know I know that there are many clarinet players who feel comfortable playing Mozart and Brahms and Debussy and these and these older composers, but to play. Uh, contemporary music the way you do one has to have uh, a lot of other abilities as well and um so i kind of i kind of want to talk to you about how how that became something that you're uh that you're interested in and uh and and how did you realize that like this is something i can actually do really well well, I don't know if it's ever something I could do really well, but um, <clears throat> I got interested in it because Elsa um, was a part of the Verdere Trio, and uh, they were always commissioning and premiering new pieces. And so, you know, we would hear Elsa practicing outside of her studio while we were waiting for our lessons. Uh, she she always kept a, a pretty regular practice schedule. Um, and uh, and we would hear all of these new things, and then, of course, the Verdere Trio would do concerts, and and we would hear all these new pieces by all these composers from all over the world. And, and it seemed to me that it was, it was more gratifying in a sense than it was to play Mozart or Brahms, because when she had a question about something, she could just ring up the composer and say, you know, what, what, what did you mean when you wrote this or, or how should I articulate that? Or how do you, how, how should this be phrased or whatever? So she, yeah. she had this, this really direct relationship with composers that I thought was very valuable. It always made me a little sad that I couldn't call up Mozart and Brahms and say, <laughs> what did you mean when you wrote this? Yeah. Um, and so, um, so I commissioned my first piece in 1994 and the composer's name was Chris Peterson. He was a student at Michigan state with me and he was interested 
in the music of Brian Fernieho and Michael Finnessy and Chris Dench, and so basically the New Complexity School. Mm-hmm. And so he, um, so he wrote me this very short one-minute piece called Utterance. Um, and I did a concert of all contemporary music at a place called Warehouse Records. And I thought, well, if, I, if, if I'm going to try this contemporary music thing, then I, I, I want to try it that's maybe somewhere that isn't a concert stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I played at this, at this record store, uh, and a whole bunch of people showed up actually, which was really surprising to me. And it was interesting, you know, after I played, getting to talk to them about, you know, what they thought and, and uh, of, of the program and the pieces. And uh, some of the composers were there. Um, and so it was just a it was a really gratifying experience. And so I thought, well, you know, this is this is something that I would like to do. Uh, so I. Uh, I started doing it, and Elsa every year, at the end of every year, had a uh, a concert called the Avant Garde Music Night, and so we were all required to pick a piece and play a piece on this very large concert, and then we'd all go out and have pizza. Oh, um, so it was all the clarinet whatnot. players who who participated. Yeah, every clarinet player in her studio did. Wow. Um, and so it was a, you know, it was sort of a. Uh, a very light kick in the pants to, 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 to say, you know, Hey, this is important and you yeah. should be out there doing this. And so we were grateful for that because it really put us in touch with a lot of people. Yeah, well, I, I, I tell my students sometimes uh, to do these some of these uh, things that are required by contemporary music, you, it, it requires a certain um, uh, control that you might not have physically or that you might not realize that you need to do some of these, like multiphonics and various other things. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes in a performance setting, you get up there and you get tight and you don't realize, oh, this is a whole different level of, of personal control in my performance. Sure. And I mean, you know, learning how to, it, it, it's, it's funny how often, you know, people who play contemporary music get asked this question, like, how do you do this stuff? And mm-hmm. well, you just sort of learn it as you go along. Yeah. Um, honestly, I mean, I, I had no idea how to do multiphonics before I had to do one, um, which I, I then later learned is actually not true. I was doing multiphonics when I first picked up the clarinet because I couldn't play <laughs> a high C in tune and I was getting yeah. an undertone. Right. Yeah, that's um, true. <clears throat> And so, um, but learning how to do this stuff on purpose was something that I had never really thought about. Well, this is something I should learn to do. So, so again, I really learned as I sort of went along, um, and I decided that I wanted to learn how to do as many things as I possibly could. And I always liked to do the really difficult music for some reason, because it seemed like not many other people were doing that kind of thing. Um, so the work of people like Brian Fernieho and, and Michael Finnessy and whatnot became very important to me because mm-hmm. those were the pieces that contained all of the techniques, number one. And number two, these were the pieces that not a lot of people were playing that I thought were actually really good. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so in my teaching, uh, I do use uh, uh, some, some, uh, 20th, some 20th and 21st century pieces. Uh, to sort of introduce the, the the concept of I think rhythm is probably the biggest thing. So um, so you know we we will use different pieces to to work on uh, irregular rhythms or um, pieces that don't have bar lines or meters or what have you. 
and then we move on from there. And, you know, I, I, I use a lot of Eric Mandak's pieces because uh, mm-hmm. I studied with Eric, and I, I think that his pieces are really just some of the best pieces out there for yeah. multiphonic work. They're really good. Uh, He's a great composer. Yeah, they're, they're really terrific, and, they're, and they make sense for, you know, for, for the clarinet, and I, I think that they're, they're not ugly. Right. Uh, I think a lot of people think that contemporary music is ugly, and I never really thought it was ugly. I thought it was complicated, but I right. think complicated doesn't necessarily translate into ugly. Right. Um, so in any case, so and then you know, we, we sort of just go along, and um, my students do a lot of work with the composers at school, so they're frequently bringing in pieces saying, how do I do this and how do I do that? And is this even possible on the instrument? Yeah, um, and, and sometimes it's not. Yeah, <laughs> so like occasionally I'll have I'll have uh, com- student composers come in and talk to me about something, and I'm and I tell them, uh, you know, it, it might be possible for uh, you know five people, <laughs> but it's it, it is an interesting uh, discussion to have with a composer about um, about how far to push the boundaries of what you ask from the musician, you know, because they're, sure. they're yeah. It's it's a difficult discussion to have, but but I I think one that's uh, worthwhile, and you don't want to compromise the artistic integrity of their work either. So um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a discussion that I that I've had uh, with composers in the past. I, I think an interesting philosophical discussion. But I want to ask you well, about um, well 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 I, I was going to say this sort of leads me to to talking about working with David Gomper, yes, who yes. actually has kind of a you know, he has kind of an ideal world insofar as his process is concerned. And uh, I found working with David to be one of the most rewarding experiences that I've ever had. Um, We've worked together since 2008. Uh, I met him first, incidentally, as a conductor. Uh, He is the director of the Center for New Music at the University of Iowa. So he conducts the Center Ensemble uh, out there, which is basically a symphonietic uh, style ensemble, basically one and a part. And uh, and he also is the head of the composition department there. Mm-hmm. And he's also a very good pianist. Um, so D- David sort of does a little bit of everything. And the weird thing about David is, is, is that he manages to do it all so well. Um, but his process is such that he comes up with something and then he starts sending it to me piecemeal. And, you know, take a look at this and take a look at this. And does this work? And is this idiomatic? And is there something that you can suggest that's better? Is there a notation that I could change so that it's more easily understood uh, by the by the performer and what have you? So he's really concerned about um, how the work is going to be received by by the player, but also how the work is going to be received by somebody who may purchase it, for example, and not have the benefit of working directly with him. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important. So so David creates the work, and then uh, because of his work with the Center Ensemble, we basically run it through a series of concerts there, and so the work gets tested and recorded, and we listen back, and he'll change this or change that, and, you know, oh, this doesn't work, or uh, this, this, this doesn't get the effect that I wanted it to have. Mm-hmm. And so it really is sort of a you know, a, a workshopping kind of experience. Yeah. And then eventually we arrived at this version of Tresseur, uh for clarinet and piano, which then formed the basis for the clarinet concerto. Uh, and the clarinet concerto was basically Tresseur with uh, a cadenza and some expanded sections uh, because the orchestra, of course, has lots of colors available. Right. And, um, and so we did that then with his center ensemble with a one and a part version. 
And then that got expanded into the clarinet concerto, which we recorded for Naxos Records with the Royal Philharmonic. Uh, and that's with big orchestra and what have you. So uh, so it's, it's, it's really like watching something, you know, it, 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 it's first born and then it goes through its sort of, you know, baby steps and adolescent phases. <laughs> and then it becomes this fully matured work for clarinet player and orchestra. Yeah. Um, and it's it was really a wonderful experience. And, uh, you know, we, we've played together for, like I said, a long time. And so we, we played this piece probably, I don't know, 30 or 35 times before we recorded it. And um, and that gives a, a, a much needed sort of, you know, comfort uh, uh, comfort zone because you've done it and you know how it's going to go. You know what to expect. You know where the pitfalls are. And it makes recording it very simple. So, yeah. uh, and David did so much work in terms of fundraising and grant writing and what have you. And um, and I'm very very grateful to have had the chance to do this with him. Well, it's an excellent recording. I'm I'm g- going to give the uh, the audience a chance to to hear it. So uh, this is clarinetist Michael Norsworthy, who we've been talking to, and pianist and composer David Gomper. And this is their recording of Tresor. And that was Tresseur by David Gomper with clarinetist Michael Norsworthy and David Gomper at the piano. And we've been talking to Michael Norsworthy today. Michael, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. You've been listening to Clarinet Corner, a production of Troy Public Radio and produced by Joey Hudson. I'm Tim Phillips, and there's a lot more where that came from. This is Troy Public Radio.